I need to stop watching Housewives right before I go to bed because I keep like dreaming myself into the drama <laughs> and the fights. And then I wake up like really like wound up and upset. Like, I cannot believe they treated the Manzos like that. It's really unfair. And then it'll be like two in the afternoon. I'll be like, what happened? I can't remember what was real and what was dreamed. <laughs> yeah. You, right, where good. am I? <laughs> I've been trying to figure out how to work the housewives into this show. But, like, I have a feeling it'll be, like, you talking music, where, like, I just, like, glaze over. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, like, I'm still trying to work my way through that. Well, at least the Beverly Hill ones, I know a couple of the people. Because it's, uh, what's her lips? Um, <laughs> what's her lips? Yeah, you really know them real good. <laughs> no, she's married to Hamilton, right? Like uh, Oh, Lisa Renna. Yeah. Yeah, Harry Hamill. Harry Hamill. And Hamlin. Hamlin. Hamlin? Hamlin. I was going to say, they were both on Veronica Mars. Right. I, as Logan's parents. Yeah, but in my mind, he's always the guy from Clash of the Titans. That as well? Yes. And uh, I don't know her real name, but she plays um, on Young and the Wrestles. She's off the, the Housewives show, though. Oh, is she? That's my problem with these uh, women. My favorite ones are always the ones that have the most common sense. And because they have that common sense, they, they don't last very long. They, like, really just give the fuck up real fast. And I can't blame them for them. Isn't Nicholas Sheridan on one of them now or something? Mm, don't think so. Oh. So She should be because she sits. <laughs> Welcome to our new episode of Rabbit Holes Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Elise. And I'm your other host, Andy. And welcome to this, our 30, I want to say, sixth episode. I don't know, 36? Yeah, sounds about right. Sounds about right, yeah. Yeah. It's finally springish out. Yes, we are recording on Easter long weekend, and uh, my crocuses are finally starting to pop up out back. The snow is mostly gone in the garden, so... And everything is flooded, so if you listen to us and are in a flood-prone area, I feel bad for you. And also move. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we might hear my sub-pump kick on every so often, because it's still working through the the lower levels of the the ground soil as it gets down there, but I think we'll be okay. And we were supposed to record at my house, but my basement is all tore up because I had water in my basement bedroom. Homeownership is fun. Yeah, I can't wait. Like, oh my god. <laughs> like, I, I want to build the house. Uh, I've never been so excited. <laughs> I'm excited to build the house, but I'll, like this week, with getting up at five to vacuum up water out of our basement bedroom. Off mm-hmm. the, at least it was the carpet, not the laminate. Um, but it's just... And now we have to tear up the whole front of the house before we sell yep. to replace the weeper. So I have to do a lot of gardening because I have to save like hundreds of dollars of plants because I will need to put flower beds back to sell Some my house. house. Unless so. you sell in the winter. But we have, we're have we selling this year because we're building in June. Yeah. Darn. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I was just like, next year this won't be a game problem. And like, oh, God, no. Oh, no. No, no, no. I'm like, you can spend however much you want over engineering the drainage on our new house. Yes, because I never want to have this conversation again. Yeah, I ever. never, ever want to have this conversation again. Yeah. 
where I have to send an, uh, an email that the subject line is Andy's late wet basement. <laughs> Brackets, not a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> just, just what it was. <laughs> so I went to drop the kids off that morning. Usually it's like a six minute run to daycare and back. Like usually 10 minutes there and back total. Nope, the road was closed because it was flooded. The pictures were spectacular. Yes. Um, and so then I had to take the longest way around because you have to get across the bridge. So you have to go to the next spot right. to get and across the Mississippi. When you're out in the boonies, that's a what's a drive. Yeah. Well, even in here, if you should try to cross the Ottawa, you, it's not yeah. all that easy. So, you know, it's just a pain in the ass. But yeah, so hmm. I was like, of course. Try to get to work, try to clean up the basement. So by the time I got home, Dan had pretty much done most of the basement cleaning. Sweet! <laughs> there was very little to do by the time I got back. Because we'd gotten up early and the kids had woken up. So I had put them in our bed. Both of them had phones watching, like, Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> Meh. Victoria doesn't normally watch, but she was contented there for, like, a good half hour until I finally was like, we gotta get dressed, babes. Well, we have left damp soggy basements behind yes. and we are here to share weird odd internet corners that we have found <laughs> i know we were talking and we were both prepping and it's uh, we're recording a couple episodes today and i think we're we're in for a yeah a treat yeah one my third one isn't is, is going to be fun because i think it's going to be a lot of banter but it isn't like that weird my other two are much yes. stranger <laughs> all right well let's dive into it uh because last week was 420 uh, and we can't remember what we did before that, because yeah. it's been a while since we recorded. We are resorting to the Wheel of Destiny to find out who's going first today. So, come on. Come on, spin, goddammit. <laughs> they redid this app, and I am not enjoying it. I gotta find a new... Yeah. Destiny? Okay. Yeah! Yeah! There Woo-hoo! was some, some Dutch go, on go, that. Go, 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 go! Ooh, it's me. Well. For a totally audio <laughs> medium. Yes, our, our visual uh, ticks are great. So, this week, like I said, we're recording on Easter weekend. Uh, it is Easter Monday. Um, we didn't have an Easter theme episode because 420 happened to fall on yeah. Easter Monday, so we did the 420 episode, but Easter is still the inspiration for my story this week. Uh, and I have a question to kick things off, and that is, where do our modern holidays, both religious and otherwise, come from? And, well, for the most part, it's tradition, but our traditions now are built off of traditions that came before. Pagans! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that was me hitting my trash can, because I'm a hand talker when I talk. Uh, so I'm looking at co-opted holidays today. So... I almost did the origins of, like, the Easter tradition, so I'm really glad I didn't. I'm really glad you didn't either, because, yeah, that would have been uh, a oh shit moment for yeah. both of us, yeah. So a couple of parameters for the story. I'm sticking with Christian holidays because that's what I know, and I want to be respectful. Well, as respectful as possible. I'm an asshole, so <laughs> there's going to be some twists in there. A lot of people will say that pagan traditions were taken over by the church, but two things. One, pagan just means someone who practices a religion unfamiliar or unknown to you, so it's a catch-all term. And two, we're not talking about a well-defined strategy of a hostile takeover here. It was more of a slow process. It was more a way to integrate more people into the church by just slowly absorbing yeah. some of the, the customs of those people. So yes. the Celts, the... 
I mean, a lot of this comes from Celtic tradition. Mm -hmm. So traditions and culture and culture shifts over time. So it makes sense that people switch religions to keep their uh, old timey holidays because who doesn't love an excuse to celebrate? So, of course, you hold on to the the parties, if not the meaning behind them. It was, as you said, also a way to kind of keep peace as you moved into a new territory and insist that the locals follow your rules and worship your gods, but let them keep their holidays to keep them happy. And oftentimes Christian themes, names, people, reasons uh, overlay existing traditions, which is why they can look a little messy and have roots in far off places and distant times. And it's hard to really track what's real and what's coincidence. Yeah. So let's start with the inspiration for this story, and that's Easter. So for those who only know Easter as a time to find chocolate eggs peppered around your house, the origins of Easter is thus. On Friday, also known as Good Friday, Jesus was found guilty of heresy by the Pharisees and, with Roman cooperation, was sentenced to death and crucified. He was removed from the cross and entombed. On the following Monday, which is Easter Monday, so three days later, his followers went to his tomb to find that he had risen from the dead and ascended to heaven. While culturally, uh, Christmas is more important in terms of Jesus-themed holidays, it's not the most religious of holidays with Jesus-centric. Uh, Easter has that beat by a mile. Yeah. Because that he was born was, okay, yeah, nice, fine. But the fact that he died is like, this we're is the all the... passion of the Christ. Yeah. Stages of the crucifixion. It's where the power of the story comes from. First of all, for obvious reasons, uh, Judaism predates Christianity by at least 33 years. We know that for a fact. Easter is tied closely to the Jewish holiday of Passover because Jesus was tried and executed during the Passover holiday. But and he it, was Jewish. And he was Jewish. But it would have helped with spreading the new religion to tie the most important day in its calendar to a previously established time of celebration, especially given the early pool of possible converts were primarily Jewish. So, But the roots of Easter go much deeper than one dude's death and resurrection, though the resurrection bit is impressive, if you ask me. Sometimes the springtime celebration back to Sumerian culture, so we're thinking circa 2100 BCE, and the legend of Demuzi and his wife Ishtar, and they have some interesting parallels to Jesus's story. When Demuzi dies, Ishtar is grief-stricken and follows him to the underworld. While there, she is judged, killed, and then hung on display. Because she is a fertility goddess, in her absence, the earth loses its fertility, crops cease to grow, and animals stop reproducing. Unless something is done, all life on earth will end. So after Ishtar has been missing for three days... One of her assistants goes to the other gods for help. Finally, one of them sends the plant of life and water of life down to the underworld, where they're sprinkled on both Demuzi and Ishtar, resurrecting them, giving them the power to return to the earth as the light and sun for six months. After six months are up, Demuzi returns to the underworld of the dead, remaining there for another six months, and Ishtar pursues him, prompting the water god to rescue them both. And so these are the cycles of winter and spring. So I'm seeing shades of the Demeter Persephone story in there, but also uh, links to the Jesus story that comes later. In Europe, Celtic traditions also pounced on these themes of resurrection and uh, spring and rebirth. According to Jacob Grimm, yes, the fairy tale guy, in his book Deutsch Mythology, a popular celebration occurred on the spring equinox, which is March 21st, in honor of Ostara who is the bringer of light after a long winter. The equinox date is important because that's the tipping point when the days get longer and the growing season can begin. So we have another fertility story tied to this holiday. 
outside of Sumeria, Ishtar was understood to be the Greek goddess Aphrodite. And in the 4th century Common Era, Christians believed that they found the spot in Jerusalem where Jesus spent his Easter long weekend. And coincidentally, maybe, it happened to be a spot where a temple to Aphrodite or Ishtar stood. So that temple was torn down so that the Church of the Holy Sepulchre could be built, which is the holiest church in the Christian world. All of these things just keep getting layered, one on top of the other, and it's hard to figure out where and what is true and the actual roots. So while the uh, goddess Aphrodite's temple was getting knocked down, things started to get serious with regards to Easter as a recognized holiday. The First Council of Nicaea in 325 established the date of Easter as the first Sunday after the full moon, which is known as the Peshal full moon, following the March equinox. And that's why there's a floating nature to this holiday and it's never on the same week year over year. So Easter bops along for a few centuries as part of this crazy Christian cult, which is the academic way of saying new religion that no one quite understands yet. And this new cult is slowly but surely growing in size and affluence. And then in late 60, uh, late 600, early 700 CE, lived an English monk called Bede, who was known as the father of English history. In his work, The Reckoning of Time, he explains the origin of the names of the months in England and claims that April originated from the old English word Aoster, who was a pagan goddess. And fun fact, Yeboy Bede is the only historical source that Aoster ever existed. So, one dude. And that's all we got. So, so you can take Bede's story about Aoster with a grain of, grain of salt and doubt it, but Bede generally has a good reputation of recording historical facts and narratives. And the early cultures in England were typically based on oral tradition, so it, there's a good chance that he's probably not all that wrong. The symbolism that surrounds Easter is a bit of a mixed bag when it comes to historical origins. It's possible that Aoster was a goddess of fertility, and both the egg and the rabbit are easy stand-ins for that. Similarly, it is confirmed that the hare was the symbol of Ostara, uh, which is another um, fertility goddess. Yes. Yep. And uh, her festival marks the beginning of spring and is all about fertility. Also, you remember those Cadbury commercials? Uh, the Cadbury egg commercials where the bunny lays an what? egg. Yeah. And it's like really weird and everyone's like, how do we get from A to Z? That's actually what I was going to do. Oh, okay. So you probably already know this, but it's not as crazy and as creepy as it sounds because Ostara's story goes that she would heal wounded birds that she found in the forest by turning them into hares. And to thank her for it, they would lay eggs for her. So Cadbury actually tapped into an old... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, For centuries, Orthodox Christians in Mesopotamia have dyed eggs red around the spring as a symbol of Christ's death. So giving out, like giving gifts of those. Uh, Giving up certain foods like eggs has long been practiced in the Christian faith and the church encouraged the eggs thing as part of that Lenten process. So once Lent ends, it makes sense to decorate or celebrate and give eggs as gifts, which may be the origins of the egg hunt. And also, I think maybe the chocolate hunt, because if you're coming off of Lent, yes, like, you want to treat yourself. And it's my mother-in-law who gives up chocolate for Lent. Oh, God, there's 40 days I wouldn't want to be around any woman. 
<laughs> she does it. She does it every year, and I felt so bad. We had them over for dinner a few weeks ago, and I made brownies as dessert. Mm. And I was like, "Oh my god, I am such a jackass. I am sorry." Because we were actually going to make something else, right? And then I ran out of time, so I just made like a boxed brownie mix. Yeah. So instead, I gave her like I was doing ice cream sundaes, so I gave her just ice cream with caramel and berries and. <laughs> I made it as fancy as I could with just not a drop of chocolate on it. Oh, I'm like, I'm so sorry. She's like, oh, this is really good. <laughs> Here's some pineapple and strawberries and caramel and ice cream. At least you didn't just like whip her a banana and call it a night. <laughs> uh, so finally, uh, the last kind of link to modern tradition for some reason, and I couldn't find this online. Uh, 18th century German Lutheran immigrants to the Americas linked bunnies to Easter and imported the tradition to their new home. So we have them to thank for the bunny, but I I can't figure out why. I think it's all tied to that fertility, uh, fertility, Hmm. spring, rebirth babies, like who else can uh, whip out a two dozen kids before summer? Yeah. Like, uh, nothing nothing <clears throat> procreates quite like a rabbit, and I used to have a humpy rabbit, so I can tell you that they like to hump. Well, uh, 420 was Saturday, and I was sitting out back uh, celebrating in my own way, and uh, got halfway through the bowl that I was celebrating with, and a little bunny hopped through my backyard, and I was like, oh, the Easter bunny has come! <laughs> and I was really glad there was no one around to hear me, because I literally said that out loud. <laughs> Also, I'd like to say, why do we keep dressing... I I don't understand how this has become a thing. Uh Uh-huh. Is, like, I get getting your picture taken with Santa, that... Uh, But the Easter Bunny pictures? Yeah. I I never grew up with that. No, me either. And I understand that that's been a tradition in some places. Mm -hmm. But going to a mall and having, like, an Easter court set up, circa mall rats... That was not something I no, grew in. I don't care. Like, even the good costumes still look fucking creepy. I think it's just a way to, like, force people to come into like, a mall. Because malls are dying, right? Like, everyone just shops online. People have been doing that since, like, the 70s and the 80s in the States. Like, yeah, but I don't it know just if not, like, a thing in Newfoundland? Like, or Canada. Like, I'd never seen that. And now, like, all my cousins put up pictures of, like, their kids with the Easter Bunny or some rando in an Easter Bunny suit. And I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand it. It was funny. Um, I followed Chrissy Teigen on Instagram, and John dressed up as the Easter Bunny, and she filmed him practicing his hops out back. It was that was pretty sweet. So I think if like you're the dad and you're going to do it, that's fine. But like putting your kid on some random person's lap in the mall, any other time that sentence would like have CPS at your door asking questions. Like the same thing at Christmas. We all do it at Christmas, but yeah, but that's a fun. Sort of mildly, and at least you can see that person's yeah. face. Like you could literally have a carny in like that rabbit suit and not There's know dead plastic eyes. I know. Oh, it's so upsetting. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so the <laughs> long and the short of it is, long and the short of it is, like just fucking stop it with the creepy. Yes. <laughs> Uh, good time to bring up Christmas, though, because I'm now moving on to talking about Christmas and how Yule. that got co-opted. So just like the death of Jesus, his birth has some links to pagan holidays and traditions because the early church fathers used existing cultural and religious practices to their benefit. Historical evidence suggests that Jesus was born in the spring, but since there was already a Jesus-themed spring holiday, that wasn't going to work. You need to spread those holidays around. (laughs) So for those of you who don't know the story, an angel appeared to Mary and told her she was carrying the Son of God, Herod 
had heard of this as well and was on a mission to do away with all the male children born within a certain window. So Mary and her new husband fled Jerusalem for safety. And while en route, Mary gave birth to Jesus in a stable since rooms at the inn were lacking. Three kings or wise men showed up with just the absolute worst <laughs> gifts to give babies after following a star to his uh, to this Messiah. Also, please read Lamb by Christopher Moore if you haven't already. It is the awesomest book ever written. The full title is Lamb, the Gospel According to Biff, Christ Childhood Pal. And it's 33 years that the Bible doesn't cover. So he meets Biff, the main character, meets Jesus when they're like five or six. And they go east together so that Jesus can learn how to be the Messiah and come back and save his people. I read it like every Christmas. It's the best book ever. So good. There are two holidays that were overlaid by this Christian tradition, the Germanic Festival of Yule and the Roman Festival of Saturnalia. So Saturnalia was like New Orleans on a Friday night during Mardi Gras. It was time to drink and throw down, and there was really an air of anything goes to the festivities. Yes, like Mardi Gras, New Orleans on speed. Yes. With a lot of slaves and rape. <laughs> yes. Uh so much so that laws would be suspended for a few days. So it was like ancient purge, <laughs> like just Australian rules in that there is no rules. We're just all going for it. The festival honored Saturn, the Roman god of agriculture, drinking, time, and parties. Uh, these parties would include feasting, role reversals, free speech, gift giving, revelry, gender bending, sex, drinking, telling it like it was to Deborah and HR who pissed you off and anything you really wanted. There were no rules. Uh, this festival occurred after the winter equinox as when the days start to get longer, and the timing eventually morphed Saturnalia into the celebration of the birth of the unconquerable sun, or Sol Invictus, in the Roman tradition, and that happened to be on December 25th. So that's how we linked December 25th with these big holidays. Yule uh, is a single event is harder to pin down because it refers to the time of mid-November to mid-January. And meant slash means different things in different cultures. In general, though, it is widely understood to be a time of celebration. Yule has been connected to traditions like the Wild Hunt. So think J.K. Rowling's Headless Hunt in the Harry Potter books. Uh, but basically, it's a hunt where supernatural creatures participate in, and it's usually connected to Odin. And another event called mm, Mudranit a.k.a. the Night of Mothers, where sacrifices were made to the maternal, and which became Christmas Eve in the modern tradition. So, there you go. Like Easter, modern Christmas imagery and symbolism has its roots in the older traditions. We talked some of this in our Christmas episode, too, so I found some stuff that we didn't have a chance to cover. You had talked about Santa Claus's Turkish Christian saintly roots, mm -hmm. uh, but he is also suspiciously similar to Odin in how he's represented. And some of his characteristics, like gift giving, have ties to La Befana in Italy, who left treats for good children, and Frau Hole, who was popular in the Germanic culture for leaving treats for women at solstice. I'm all for anyone who leaves women treats. While you couldn't pay me to eat fruitcake, its origins are actually in ancient Egypt, where cakes with fermented fruit and honey would be placed in tombs of loved ones to eat in the afterlife. And then Romans developed a similar treat with mashed pomegranates for easy travel in battle. And crusaders took honey cakes with them into the Middle East. And I think some of the fruitcakes I've tried over time have been circa those eras. <laughs> I was going to say. Which is why I don't like them. <laughs> She was saying, because the families could also eat them when they die. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Kissing under mistletoe has its roots in a bunch of cultures. 
Romans saw it as a fertility symbol, so it would bone under it. Norse culture would negotiate for peace near growing mistletoe because they revered it. And the Druids would hide under it during storms because they believed it would protect them from thunder and lightning. So lots of reasons to stand under mistletoe, regardless of when or where you are. Just don't touch it. It's fucking prickly as shit. Yes. (laughs) And last but not least is a holiday held as a high holy day to all Outlander fans. And that is Sam Hain. Samhain. Sorry. I knew it had a weird pronunciation. I was looking for it in my notes that I couldn't find it. If I were to phonetically pronounce it, it comes out as Samhain. Yes. But it's actually Samhain. Yeah. In the grand tradition of all Celtic languages where you don't actually put the letters in the word that you're trying to spell. (laughs) Because I've mispronounced it for years. Yeah. As a wicked. That's terrible. But... (laughs) (laughs) I mispronounced it in my head as I read the Outlander books and then Outlander TV show happened and I was like, ah, fuck, now I have to readjust everything. All the internal dialogue. Fuck. Anywho. From History.com, Samhain is a pagan religious festival originating from an ancient Celtic spiritual tradition. In modern times, Samhain, which is uh, usually celebrated from October 31st to November 1st to welcome the harvest and usher in the dark half of the year. Celebrants believe that the barrier between the physical world and the spiritual world breaks down during Samhain, allowing more interaction between humans and the denizens of the other worlds. To ancient Celts, Samhain was the most important of the four fire festivals, which occurred at the equinox and the solstice dates. Uh, It happened at the midpoint between the fall equinox and the winter solstice. To recognize the date, home fires were left to burn out on their own while the families would bring in the harvest. And once the harvest was in, people would join Druid priests in lighting a community fire to represent the sun, offer prayers, and sacrifice cattle. At the end, they would take part of the ceremonial flame home with them to relight their own fires. In some areas, you had to participate and present yourself to your local lord or king for headcount, I'm assuming. It's a way to annually get a grasp on your tax base. Or else you face the wrath of the gods. So that's a good way to ensure that you're going to file your taxes tied up with your deities. Because the barrier between the worlds uh, were thinnest at this point, it was common for supernatural folk like fairies uh, to be around at this time of year. So treats would be left outside the villages for them. But there was also lots of scary creatures that would pop up at this time, too. With the thinning of the veil, dead ancestors would come through, so people would dress up as animals or monsters to discourage them from kidnapping them and taking them away to the other side. All of this made the early church very nervous. There wasn't another Jesus-themed holiday that they could throw at the problem, so what were they going to do? Well, in the 5th century, Pope Boniface tried moving the holiday to May and co-opted it as a celebration of saints and martyrs. Poor planning, though. Moving a fire festival with a theme around your harvest into May, probably not. Didn't think that went through. It didn't work, and people just celebrated the old way. Anyway, the church uh, is slow to react, so it wasn't until four centuries later when Pope Gregory realized it probably wasn't going to work. Like, they gave it time, and it still wasn't working. Four centuries! 400 years, but they finally got the message. So they moved Jesus, the... why is everybody still doing this Satan pagan worship yeah. shit? We'll, we'll give them another decade or two to see if this is going to catch on or not. We'll, we'll watch it. <laughs> so they moved the celebration of the martyrs and saints back to the old time and combined uh, All Saints Day, November 1st, and All Souls Day, November 2nd, with the older tradition of Sam- Samhain. Samhain. 
Now, if all this sounds familiar, it bloody well should, because we're talking about the ancient roots of Halloween. With the 9th century realignment, October 31st became known as All Hallows' Eve. And the comparatively modern Celtic people are great at holding on to traditions, so it's no surprise that they brought Halloween to the Americas with them when they started to immigrate in large numbers. Asking for treats door-to-door is tied to the Samhain tradition of mumming, where people would dress up, go door-to-door singing songs for the dead, and getting cakes as payments. And pranks were a feature of the Samhain festival as well, but they'd be blamed on fairies. So tricks and treats. Mm-hmm. All at Samhain. Did you know that where the jack-o'-lantern comes from? Something about turnips. Yes. So because it was one of those ways to ward off those evil spirits that were coming through the veil, the veil mm-hmm. they would carve turnips and carry them around when they were doing the mm. But have you ever cut up a fucking turnip? I was going to say, can we talk about the logistical difficulties of carving a turnip? Because, <laughs> I mean, these are Celtic people, root vegetables, right? Yeah. So that's probably one of the biggest root vegetables was a turnip. I mean, every time I... Now, when I do stews and stuff, because I really only like turnip and stews and soups, I buy pre-cut up right. turnips or I buy like the smaller rutabagas you can get. Yeah. Because I threaten every time I buy a regular turnip to go outside and use the chop saw. Yeah. Fair. Because you're just like... Yeah. I don't eat turnips because I don't particularly care for them. But even if I were to force myself as an adult, it's the cutting up that would... Yeah, scare me so away from the like, task. I, I don't like buying pre-cut up, but I damn well buy pre-cut up turnips. Well, I guess if you're going to carve a turnip, if you start in early October, you can really take your time and like <laughs> dig in carefully. I can't even imagine. No, no, neither can I. Not good. Even without the wax, because the ones we get up here have wax on them, which makes them even harder to cut up. Yeah. At home, they don't hmm. have the wax on them. Um, but even then, it's still like... It's not worth it. Yeah, you're putting, like, you're standing, like, you're standing on your tippy toes, leaving yeah. your feet off the ground, hoping to get that knife through and not And not it. your own hand. Yeah. Turnips could taste, like, the best thing on planet Earth, and still, for all of that hassle, not worth it. No, no, and no, so, no. because they don't taste like the best thing on all of Earth, I'm not going anywhere near it with the 10-foot pole. It's not worth it. I just do them in stoops. Soups and stews. Stoops. Stoops. <laughs> okay, Rachel Ray. <laughs> All right, lightning round. Valentine's Day. Tied to the Roman feast of Lupercalia, which is February 13th to 15th, in which a Roman would sacrifice a goat and or a dog, then hit the woman with the hides to encourage fertility. It was also a matchmaking ceremony. (laughs) I mean, given the current quality of the pulls you're going to get off of, like, Tinder and plenty of fish, it's (laughs) comparable. Comparable. Valentine's Day developed a Christian tie in the 3rd century when Valentine was martyred for his faith on the 14th, and in the 5th century, Pope Galatius I combined it officially with that feast in an attempt to overwrite it, because I guess he didn't get hit with any dog or wolf hide, goat hides, and felt jealous, so he had to do away with it. Birthdays. Ancient Egyptians celebrated birthdays of pharaohs with gifts of golden statues, but it was the Romans that started celebrating birthdays of John Q. Publicus. Many early Christians wouldn't celebrate birthdays because they were seen as a pagan tradition because of the ties to the Romans. And also, let's face it, Christians weren't exactly big fans of women, us, the bringer of original sins Mm. and things that popped out of vaginas. True. Uh, And it wasn't until the birth of Jesus 
becoming kind of a common celebration that more Christians started celebrating their own birthdays, although Jehovah's Witnesses still won't. They do not. Ash Wednesday, which is recognized before the start of Lent, uh, has two possible routes, one in Norway and one in India. In Norse tradition, you can be protected by Odin by rubbing ashes on your brow, and Wednesday is Odin's day. And then in India, the ashes symbolizes the seed of Agni and or the blood of Shiva, both of which are said to have powers to cleanse and forgive sins, which is the root of Ash Wednesday. You're getting blessed before you move into the Lenten time. So I hope you enjoyed that speed round through ancient cultures for modern traditions. And um, I would like my Easter egg hunt now. You set that up, right? (laughs) God damn it. You could have came to my house yesterday and <laughs> partake in the one. Yeah, but you would have made me share the chocolate with the kids. Uh, they still haven't eaten it, so it's fine. And you didn't bring it? I don't know. <laughs> I almost bought you chocolate, the chocolate <laughs> slim with slim pickings at the Walmart. It's like, yes, I would like to take candy from babies. Please bring me your candy. <laughs> yeah, my kids aren't great at, like, finding the stuff yet. Oh, what was I going to say? Um, for Wiccans and Neo-Pagans in now, um, Halloween's uh, is the start of the new year. So it's yes. like New Year's Eve. Pagan New Year. Yeah. I once had that put on a cake for a party. I was happy. Happy Pagan New Year. No one got the joke. I was a nerd even then. Well, where were you in grade eight then, Andy? <laughs> I was much older and not, it would have been really weird to be hanging out with someone in grade eight. Fair. <laughs> okay, so you did tradition and I'm going to do gross. Um, oh boy. <laughs> oh my god, my stomach. I don't know if we're catching this and I apologize. If anybody can hear the grumbling in the background. Um, so did you hear, and it just came out recently, the story of a 29-year-old woman who had gone out for a walk in the mountains in, in uh, Taiwan and returned home with eye pain that wouldn't go away? No, but is this another reason why I'm not traveling to Southeast Asia? Uh, no, these, these, these are, this is just going to be a long list of why you will never leave the house again. Oh, God, I don't need another list, but break it. Let it go. <laughs> uh, the next day, ophthalmologist pulled four bees still alive out of her tear ducts. <laughs> Why is this not a visual medium? Four fucking bees? Yes. Like, did she go into the ophthalmologist and say, hey, my eye hurts. I'm pretty sure I saw bees fly into it. Can you, like, do that for me? So... They were still alive um, from under her right eyelid in her tear ducts. So they're teeny, teeny, tiny. I don't like that. So. I don't like it at all, Andy. (laughs) I don't like it. This gets so much worse. Oh, no, I don't like it. (laughs) So the woman was taking a hike. uh, Okay, first mistake. (laughs) I know. (laughs) To if the ladies from Morbid ever listen to this, we agree you don't go. Don't go outside. Don't go outside. That's no good. (laughs) Fresh air is for suckers. (laughs) Um, which is also a ceremonial visit to a wooden grave site ahead of an annual Kuming festival. So which once I again, probably fuck that up, but hey, I did my best. Religion never good. Uh, where she picked up the unwelcome hitchhikers. Oh. She was beginning. She had been tending to a family member's grave and pulling at weeds when she felt something go into her eye, presuming that it was soil. She washed it with water, but by night it had began to swell up 
and she felt a sharp, stinging pain under her eyelid. Yeah, you know why? She had fucking bees in her eye. So the next day, she went to the hospital thinking that it was an infection. But when the doctor looked uh, at her eye under a microscope, he saw the tiny legs of the bees wiggling in her ducts. (laughs) (laughs) You might need that garbage can by the time my stories are done. I'm not good with this at all. Why did we eat lunch before we recorded this? I didn't know you were so squeamish. Oh, I'm sorry. Insects in the eye. Who would have thought that would have done it for anyone? This gets so much worse. She uh, <laughs> feels so skeevy. <laughs> so uh, they were feeding off the moisture and salt of her tears. Uh, what really surprised me out of this was the fact that they said her eyesight and the lives of the bees were saved by the fact she had not rubbed her eye. How did she not rub her eye? I rubbed my eye like four times reading this article. <sighs> Also, who the fuck cares about the lives of bees? I know we're supposed to protect the bees at all costs at this point, but game over when you fucking enter my eyes. So, what were these bees? They are sweat bees. Don't like that word either. So, they are teeny tiny bees about the size of ants. Uh, They are like other bees. They eat nectar, so they're pollinators, and they do sting. But unlike other bees, they do not make honey, and these bees are known for their metallic coloring. So they have all the bad parts of bees and none of the good, delicious parts. Yeah. Got it. Most are shades of green, blue, and bronze, although some are metallic, dull metallic black. They like to eat and drink salt and water, which is what's in tears. sweat. Yeah. Uh, hence the name. Also, what's saltier than sweat? That's tears. And they love them some tears. Mm. So, of course, I went looking for other cases of bugs and people, and I was not disappointed. <laughs> I've now disappointed all bees. Uh, 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 that's, that's what happens when you tell me I can't talk about sex. I talk about bees. Okay, I was prepping the Victorian and Puritan stories when you rolled up on me today, so like, feel free at this point. I'm ready to go. So on live science, I... Because live science is my You're, favorite. I'm going to ban you from live science if this keeps up. <laughs> I found an article of a woman who had a baby bot fly living in her groin. Hmm. A Florida woman was enjoying Of course. Her- <laughs> during her honeymoon in Belize when she was bitten by a mosquito. Not a big deal, she thought, and got on with her vacation. But two months later, after getting home, she noticed an inch, itchy, pimple-like bump on the inside of her groin. Thinking it was an insect bite, she went to visit her family doctor. The doctor noticed that the skin lesion looked a bit like a bite and had a hole in the middle. So the doctor figured it was an infected spider bite and gave her some antibiotics. Uh-huh. A couple weeks later, the antibiotics didn't work. Nothing. Right. Uh, so she wanted a second opinion and went to the wound management clinic. The doctor she saw there noted that it was hard and was concerned that it had caused an infection in her lymph nodes. So mm. sent her to see a surgeon. The surgeon was like, mm, I'm pretty sure this is a bug. And he was right. So they cut into the lesion to find a botfly larva. Uh, it was tapered in shape. With rows of spines and spikes. <laughs> oh, God. The adult botfly is found in Central and South America, and adults, they grow to the size of bumblebees. Uh, the female drops her mature eggs on other bugs like mosquitoes hmm. and uses those bugs to place her eggs inside warm-blooded animals. Hmm. Like humans and dogs. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that egg burrows into the flesh, loving the warmth, and eventually hatches into the larva, and then it grows. Bam. The larva 
then burrows even deeper into the flesh, <clears throat> but that's why it has to leave a hole because it needs to breathe. Oh, so God. that's why it has a hole in it. Bot fly infestations are rare in North America, but Thank are God. a common skin problem in Central America. Not cool. Where uh, many people will put something like petroleum jelly, nail polish, or bacon strips over the hole to suffocate the larva. And then a couple hours later, the larva will pop out looking to breathe. So then they pu- pull it out with tweezers. I am not okay with that at all. I'm telling you right now, like, just, I'm I'm killing myself. <laughs> no. Because you're on larva watch at that point. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, if not removed, the larva will grow, make a bigger hole as it does until it matures and basically crawls out. <laughs> Our poor honeymooner was, as you can imagine, less than impressed that she had, like, a fly gro- growing in her groin. Uh-huh. But once it was removed, her skin healed up in like a week and she has no permanent. Uh, she has permanent emotional damage. Yes. <laughs> um, and as gross as that is, she should be happy that she's not this five poor five-year-old kid in Honduras who had a bot fly in his eye. <laughs> the larva was in the late stages and camped out in his eye socket. And his surgery was much more complicated and was performed by the U.S. Air Force Mobile Op ophthalmological surgery team that was at that time working in rural Honduras. The eye again? Yeah. That's the last story about the eye, I think. So we're good. Oh, I'm I'm sure it's going to get worse. So here are a few more short stories, like a lightning round. Oh, good. Terrible stories. That'll make you never want to leave your house. I was already there, Andy. This does not. I did not need this. So, on a beach vacation in 2013, left a four-year-old with a new friend. Mom and dad were not too concerned when their four-year-old fell and skinned his knee out on the beach. Like most parents, they washed it out, slapped a band-aid on it, and called it a day. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth right now is walking around with two giant band-aids on her knees because she has bobos. <laughs> she just insists on having fucking band-aids. Well, you gotta watch that. That's early Munchausen right there. Uh, every kid, no matter <laughs> what it is, a band-aid fixes it. True. Um, so a few weeks later, the knee was infected. The doctors gave him a round of antibiotics, but that just stopped the pus, Mm -hmm. leaving this growing black bump under his skin. So the mom, I'm not sure if she's brave or dumb, (laughs) decided to squeeze the bump and out popped a sea snail. Being a four-year-old boy, he decided to keep the snail and named it Turbo. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) That kid's badass. In all fairness... My kids would probably also <laughs> keep it, so. <laughs> this one is weird. Uh, so in 2014, Dylan Maxwell was on an amazing vacation in Bali when a spider entered his body through an old ex- appendix scar. How that helped, I have no idea. It traveled up his torso all the way to his chest, leaving this visible red trail. Three days later, he had the spider removed. Why it took three days, I also don't know. <laughs> not okay with that either and you could see him like he had like a red look like someone took out like a magic marker and just how do you like just not cut it out yourself at that point you move like an inch up and i'm taking you out so this one is oh it grossed me out it's definitely gonna gross you (sighs) out so horror movie trope comes to life for a woman in india who complained of a crawling sensation in her head what caused it a cockroach (laughs) 
Doctors think the adventurous cockroach crawled into her nose while she was sleeping, bore a path under her skin and up to her skull. The woman felt a weird burning feeling, but had to wait for the morning to come to go to the doctor. Then the doctors found the cockroach still alive, but did not want to come out. But they took it out anyway. Hell no! Hell no! Literally just killing myself at that point. It's not worth it. You're never going to be clean. You can take as many showers and as many baths as you want. The forever and cleanness is not going away. So this one, at least it's a little bit funnier. Oh, good. (laughs) So in the vein of goop and stupid wellness trends, apparently people pay good money to let eels nibble dead skin off of their bodies. So they lie in these vats of eels. I've seen the fish pedicures. Yes, this is like a whole body, but with eels. Ew. Like little eels, not like big eels, but they're just little. Ugh. So uh, this trend started in England. White people with too much time and money on their hands. But it worked so well, and people claimed they felt so clean afterwards, although I can't imagine why, other places started offering it. Well, I guess once you scrape the snot off your body. (laughs) I was reading this, and all I could think of that section in Love Actually, where uh, Colin Firth dives in, Uh, and the Portuguese girl dives in, and she's like, he's like, I hope there's not eels. And she's like, don't wake up the eels. (laughs) Um, a 56-year-old man went in for such a treatment in China and ended up with a big surprise. He reportedly felt a tug on his penis, and when he went to grab the little bugger eel, it was too slippery, and its slimy body sort of worked as its own lube. <laughs> and it wiggled its way up his urethra in seconds. <sighs> he was taken to the hospital right away, and uh-huh. after a three-hour surgery, they pulled a six-inch eel out of his penis. Oh, God. Why are you naked in a vat of eels? Even if you're wearing swim trunks? Like, they get in there. Speedos, people. Like, Unless you, like, saran wrap the tip of your... You're asking for trouble no matter what. Like, a banana hammock, something tight. Keep it tight. <laughs> Damn it. But, like, isn't there some sort of similar, like, fish in, like, Amazon or something? Yes. It does the same thing. It corkscrews up your urethra? Yeah. Uh, so I was going to cover that one, but then I found this one, and this one's much fucking funnier, because this is someone's... Well, it's a little Darwinistic, like... Yeah, like, You don't is... deserve to procreate because you've willingly put yourself in through this. Yeah, like, you lid down in a vat of eels to nibble dead skin instead of just, I don't know, getting a sugar... Exfoliating, yeah. Yeah, getting some sugar and exfoliating. I don't yeah. know. Anyways. Uh, in Phoenix, a woman was convinced she had a brain tumor... She had vision blurriness, numbness in her limbs, and a bunch of other symptoms. She went to the ER twice and had two CAT scans. Both came back clean. She finally convinced a neurosurgeon to do an MRI. When it came back, he looked at it, was like, surgery, now. And it wasn't a brain tumor. It was a pork tape worm. Oh, God. These were the horror stories that I grew up on as a child. Which was nestled, all tucked in to her brain eating it. Ugh. Uh, how does one get a pork tapeworm? Uh, by eating food tainted with fecal matter from someone or something who is also infected with a pork tape. Thank Kramer Ford for cutting funding to... Everything. Restaurant. Uh, uh, what am I looking for? The word I'm looking for? Like when they get that rating. Oh, Inspections. The, you know, uh, like health inspectors? Health inspectors. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, this is why growing up, I never understood that you could actually uh, eat pork that was tender, because the big fear was you were going to get one of these. So my parents would like 
roast or fry the shit out of pork until it was like shoe leather. And like, I have developed the need to eat mustard with my pork chops because it at least adds some sort of moisture (laughs) back to the food. But yes, this, this was, this was my fear as a child growing up. (laughs) But it's not from undercooked beef. It's actually just from poop. Well, yeah, but we didn't understand that. And so you just figure if you cook everything to death, it'll be fine. It was also very British to cook everything to death. It wasn't boiled, but true. (laughs) Which, by the way, don't forget your pork loin in my fridge when you leave. (laughs) Uh, So to end with a palate cleanser of sorts. Oh, I do not like that language. In August of 2010, a Massachusetts man went to the hospital with a collapsed lung. He had battled emphysema for months, and when his lung gave out, he figured he had cancer. It wasn't cancer. Can you guess what it was? Something I'm not going to like very much. It was a pea plant. About a half an inch in size. Like a legit... Yep, a plant. There was also another story of a German man where they cut out a, like, four-inch fir tree out of his lung. Because you inhaled the seed, and then it just started to grow. Apparently, it didn't necessarily need light. But yeah. What? Yeah. So this guy's lung collapsed and he figured he had lung cancer and he was done for and it turned out it was a pea plant. What? Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. All of a sudden that whole like don't swallow the watermelon seeds urban legend is maybe less of an urban legend? Yeah. No, it's <laughs> like you breathe it in. I mean we all have like we breathe in spores and mold and stuff right. all the time and fungus. But yeah, these there's at least two or three cases I found where they had plant life growing in their lungs. So, like, it looks like a mess on the x-rays and stuff, and then when they cut them out, open... Just a little leaf, like a little Groot. Yeah, like a little Groot living in your lung. Oh, boy. So, I mean, I take that over cancer, so... I don't know. Cancer I could deal with mentally. Random plant growing in me, I don't know if I could ever recover from that. Like, emotionally recover. (laughs) Be like, what the fuck just happened to me? (laughs) You'd be, like, wearing one of those masks all the time. Yeah. We're going to have to filter the shit out of this house from now until eternity. And I'm and now you're a never going to be able yeah. to this old ass drafty motherfucking house. I'm sure if I get enough saran wrap up here, it'll be fine. <laughs> so that's my story. <laughs> oh, I'm never going to sleep again. <laughs> Ever. You have cockroaches. No, but like I have a, like a gajillion other weird little things out here, and every so often I'll spot. Like, have you ever seen a pseudoscorpion? No. They're little itty bitty. They're probably about the size of a pinhead, like the body. But the problem is, is they have these little pincher arms. <gasps> oh yeah, we have those at the house. Yeah. The first time I found one in my bathroom, it took me like fifteen minutes to kill it, and then another fifteen minutes to emotionally recover from having seen a pseudoscorpion in my home. Like yeah, I could not get over it. In Newfoundland, we call these, and they're like a mil, uh, like a millipede. I cannot stand centipedes, mm. millipedes. We call them earworm, ear, um, earworms. And I hate those things. Like as soon as like I would, as a kid, I would put like bowls under them, and then make, like my parents deal with it because okay. earwigs. That's what we call earwigs. Oh, yeah. Oh, but earwigs not the pinchy kind. Uh, yeah. I have a general rule of thumb: if you are a bug in my home, I'm sorry, but you cannot stay. And if I catch you, your time is numbered. Uh, I generally do. We have a lot, because we live in, in, in a house from the 80s. We have a small problem with ladybugs. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> and flies. Yes. 
especially this time of the year. Yes. So it was so bad the first year we moved in because the person before us was filthy. The ladybugs were so bad in the basement. They weren't really upstairs because at that time we had a door that blocked the basement. Oh. From the upstairs, like at the end of our stairs going down, mm. there used to be a door. Hmm. Um, and all of these little rooms that were in my like labyrinth of a basement <clears throat> all had doors. But um, the first year we were there, the ladybugs in our house were so bad, the crows actually picked all the caulking off the windows <clears throat> because the ladybugs would be on the windows and they'd be trying to get them. Yowzas. So like we would wake up at six in the morning with someone knocking on the windows and it was the fucking crows trying <clears throat> to get the ladybugs. <laughs> Yes. It's it's like every year gets less and less because like mm. our house gets cleaner and we renovate and stuff. So right. right now we're probably at whatever level. I mean, it's annoying. Liz, Victoria's terrified of them, which is unfortunate. We're like, this is going to be a long spring, sweetie. <laughs> if you are terrified well, of ladybugs. Like the orange Japanese bitey ones. I can't say I blame her. But yeah. And we have both kinds, to be honest. Like yeah. Last year, the fly situation around here was crazy. I had to get those like strips traps for the the window and i have them out now and they're they've caught a few but like maggie loves it it's maggie's favorite time of year it's like christmas for her and so all these little sky raisins she just goes nuts catching them well you've been to my house with that like glassed in front porch Mm -hmm. that thing like uh we started spraying aggressively with rage and up until the last couple years with us thinking of selling we Mm -hmm. haven't really because i don't really like right raid and stuff yeah because especially with my asthma it really causes problems um, but you go in like a day like today and you go in there and it'll just be black and it'll be just buzzing. Like you go Ooh. into the back of the house just because it honestly feels like that front porch is just going to lift off <laughs> and fly away. Hundreds of flies. Amityville style. Amityville. It's honestly like a horror movie. <laughs> and they live in the siding. They live, I don't know where all the eggs are. I think it's in the... Um... The, between the the window like yeah and crack. it's in there in the cracks yeah and like i really have to clean out that before we sell but it's just it's nasty it is so gross well on that note if you want to hear more about us head over to our website <laughs> which our blog my blog will be up soon <laughs> it's on space it's not on bugs oh good uh, so our website is www.rabbitholespodcast.com our email is rabbitholespodcast at gmail.com if you want to drop us a line, let us know what you think of the show, tell us about rabbit holes that you fall down or rabbit holes you want us to fall down for you, uh, go ahead and send us a message. Also on our website, you can find our support tab, which links you to our patron page. Come on board as a patron. You'll get access to a lot of fun stuff um, for the Velveteen tier and above uh, and free episodes. Well, not free episodes, but special extra episodes for all levels. Also on our website, we have our merch tab, which links to the Redbubble store. So you can pick up some Rabbit Holes podcast merch and start repping us out in the big bad world. Yes, and you can also find us on social media. We are on Twitter, which is Elise's thing. What, what? Uh, at Rabbit Holes Pod. Got it. We are on Facebook at Rabbit Holes Podcast page. And on Instagram at Rabbit Holes Podcast. You can also give us a rate, a review, or recommend us on Facebook. We will take anything we get. Uh, also, tell your friends, family, loved ones, enemies. I don't care. Uh, randos on the street randos on the street um (laughs) if you are also a podcaster you can find us on various podcasting groups on facebook i think i've joined most of them now (laughs) um and yeah 
So that's how you get in touch with us. We're all over the socials, sort of. Absolutely. And there's only one last thing to do today, and that's to remind you that if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Bye, guys. Bye.